You may be seated. So good, so good uh, to be able to open up God's Word and to be confident that He has a Word just for us today to minister to our hearts. We'll be reading uh, from Romans chapter 12, and this is found on page 948 in your Pew Bible. We'll be reading the uh, entire section, verses 9 through 21. God's Word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Um, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought uh, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our text this morning Uh, Verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. (laughs) Let's pray together. our tender and yet holy Father. Be generous to us today with your Spirit. Let us see um, this text, these words, with clarity and see with the same clarity how we need to apply them to our own hearts and lives, not to the hearts of people around us, but to our own hearts. 
In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. As I read these verses, as I love these verses that we've looked at just today, um, I, I sometimes ask, why these commands? Why these commands? To sympathize with other people? Uh, to share in their feelings of both gladness and sadness? Why does God tell us to do that? He tells us to be in harmony with each other, despite our differences, to live in harmony. Is all of this really necessary? Why is it important to live with sympathy? Why is it important to live with harmony? I want to point out two reasons today that I hope will help us guide our way through this passage to see the necessity and the beauty of God's Word. First of all, obviously, we need them both. We need to both give and receive sympathy. And we need to live in harmony. We in the evangelical church in the West at this time, oftentimes have been, have held emotions in suspect. And we have sought at times to ignore how we may feel about something. It can get in the way. And so we seek to suppress our feelings. They are too powerful, hard to control. And at times we prefer to live as Stoics rather than Christians. God says we need sympathy, both to give sympathy and to receive it. Which means what, people? You are worth understanding. You are worth being valued. And I I almost have a hard time saying this. God doesn't want you to feel things all alone. So he commands others to rejoice with you and to weep with you. Because you need it. I need it. But without that, without that sympathy and those feelings of sympathy, we cannot even have genuine harmony at all. You see, without sympathy, walls go up. People sort of get separated, and we have the appearance of harmony, but any family can have it, any church can have it, but we may not really experience. So we need, we need sympathy. That's what God says. I'm amazed at that. In fact, I've read probably about 12 commentaries on this, and nobody else, draw, nobody else said that. But I think it's obvious and important. Second thing, both of these things, sympathy and harmony, are God-like characteristics. We think of the sympathy of Jesus. There's a great Greek word, a splank nidzomai. I just love saying that, but it, it's, it's Jesus' bowels of compassion being stirred as he sees someone in need, as he sees someone who is hurting. Um, he felt 
and feels people's pain. He carried not just our sins, but our sorrows. Jesus was the most emotionally engaged human that has ever lived. He was never distant and never cold. Having sympathy for others is godlike. Secondly, ever since the time of St. Augustine, and then later even more clearly stated by Jonathan Edwards, it's the notion that our love, human love, whether it is love in a marriage, a family, or a church community, that human love is modeled after the love that occurs, has always occurred within the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in harmony with one another. We typically say we are to grow in the likeness of Jesus. We are to grow in Christ's likeness after the image of Christ. And what we generally think is that I, as an individual person, I've got to be more Christ-like. I've got to have more of the sympathy of Christ or whatever. But it is also true that the image of God is revealed and experienced corporately in our marriages, in our families, and in our church. We, not just I, we image God in our love, in our homes, marriages, and church. So, because we are Christ's body... My point here this morning, because we are Christ's body, we are to sympathize and we are to harmonize. Sympathize and harmonize. First of all, then, our relationships are to be close enough so that you share each other's joys and sorrows. The Spirit gives graces. The Spirit gives the grace of sympathy. We are to exhibit brotherly affection towards one another. We saw that earlier. And sympathy is an outworking of that. Brothers and sisters simply may not be aloof from one another's joy or sorrow or pain. We identify with them. We suffer with them. We share their adversity and we celebrate their joy. The word sympathy uh, means an an agreement of feeling or sharing in the feeling. Sympathy, uh, sharing the other's feelings. Um, When when, uh, you're in a room with someone uh, and they yawn, what do you tend to do? Every Monday night, when Gail and I drive home after her class and I've done what I've done, every Monday night, all we do the whole way home is yawn. She yawns and then I yawn. 30 seconds off and then I yawn and then she yawns. And we just sort of laugh that we yawn in this duet going on there. 
Interestingly enough, it has been said that uh, yawns are not contagious for sociopaths. Sociopaths don't have compassion for other people. So if you are with a sociopath and he doesn't yawn, let me put it this way, if you're with another person who doesn't yawn, well, you might have to question who you're with. Well, to, to, to live in sympathy, then, is to, is to transfer to yourself the feelings of another. Did, did you, let me say that again. And, and try to guess who said this. Who said this? Um, transfer to yourself the feelings of another. first person that came to my mind was, was, uh, was Freud. And that this would be some kind of a positive transference your feelings uh, to the other. Or, or you might, it might come to your mind that some Christian psychologist who is speaking this way. And, and the, the burden here is, is not just that we're getting in touch with our own feelings, but now we've got to get in touch with someone else's feelings. Guess who said this? John Calvin. Someone we think of as rather cold and dispassionate. Transfer to yourself the feelings of another. So there is an emotional link. We enter into the emotional life of the other person. And probably the biggest block to this is the sin of envy. And the gospel breaks the power of that envy. But ever since the fall, our affections have been naturally disordered. Uh, We may rejoice over someone's weeping. And we may weep over their rejoicing because of the problem of envy. Now, one of the differences between envy and greed, envy and greed, um, uh, greed says that you don't, you, that you want what someone else has. When we are greedy for something, we want what they have. Envy is different. Envy says, We just don't want them to have it. Jesus gets at this very beautifully um, in the parable. uh, The parable of the people who are coming to work at different times during the day. We are very willing to work a full day for a full day's pay. We do it it all the time. We're very willing to do that. Work 8 or 10 or 11 hours and get a full paycheck. But what makes us furious is the guy that punches in at four o'clock and gets the same pay. Jesus said, do you begrudge God's generosity? See, the gospel is um, grace to the undeserving. Yeah, it is. It is often easier for us to mourn uh, with those who mourn. We, we may find that easier. Um, but even so, we sometimes get a quiet sense of relief from the realization, at least it's not me. I've got my health. I've got my home. I've got my family. It is harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because of envy. You can't celebrate their success if you resent them. 
But the Lord calls us with the generosity of the gospel to want their happiness, uh, their relationships to be to be um, cl- uh, clean and beautiful, uh, and their success, and so forth. And the evidence of grace in the life is when we are truly happy for them and when in hard times we truly weep for them. I want to give you four points about, about living in a sympathetic way to help us make this as practical as, ver- as, we, as, we, as we can. Well, if God commands others to weep and to rejoice with you, if God commands that others weep and rejoice with you, are you willing to allow yourself to be known enough so that they can? I don't mean with everybody, but with a small group of people perhaps, a small number of people, are you willing to be known? And we, and we admit that this is risky. It is risky to allow yourself to be known because people can do different things with that knowledge. They can gossip about it. They can look down on you because of it. They can avoid you because of it, because it's uncomfortable. But if God commands um, others to weep and rejoice with you, you've got to help them out a little bit. You've got to help the other people out a little bit and let yourself be known, right? Now, one of the things that block, that really blocks sympathy, that really blocks us being able to connect with each other and encourage with each other, and and every one of us here has done this, every one of us here has done this, you hear a story from someone else as they're sharing an experience, uh, either a problem or a delight or something like that, and you listen long enough um, and, and, and then you make it about you. <laughs> well, I had a better experience. My operation was even more serious. Whatever. We hear something from another and we can so easily make it about ourselves. And you watch someone, when you see this happening, you can watch a person just sort of shut down. Because the person's no longer listening anymore. So be careful about one-upsmanship <laughs> in your effort in your effort to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, you are entering into their feelings, Calvin says. Transferring their feelings. Don't muddy it up by projecting and wishing your feelings on them. The third thing is, is, is listen. Listen for cues. As you're talking to people, listen for cues of sadness uh, or, or loss or joy. And then ask questions about it. A very simple and non-threatening way to do this. If you hear something, they sound hurt. It sounds like that may have hurt you. Do you want to talk about it? It's a very simple, non-threatening question. They, they can say no. They can walk away. But you have listened. You've heard. You're responding. They're a person. You are seeking to obey the command to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. 
sounds like you're hurt. That's an invitation for you to say more, uh, to go deeper with them. And, and as part of that listening, I would encourage you not to jump too quickly to the verse, all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to His purpose. Now I can go away. Now I don't have to listen anymore. We can give a Bible verse because it's uncomfortable and we'd rather not do the weeping or the rejoicing that God calls us to do. And then fourthly is simply the fear of sympathizing. Acknowledge that it is, it is frightening to sympathize with another person. I have talked to people at various times when I am amazed at the complexity of their problems and the strength of their feelings and the depth that I, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm gazing into, into a bottomless well. I, I just, it's amazing. Wow, there's a lot going on here. And it is terrifying, but only if you feel responsible. Remember, it is not, you are not the Savior. You're not Jesus. So you do not need to fix this problem. But you do need to listen. And you do need to seek to understand and relate to the person. Weep with those who weep. Sympathize. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, in the second place, these relationships also need to be humble enough so that you live in harmony. You need to be humble enough so you live in harmony. Now, when we use that word um, harmony, we can often think it's, it's just about getting along nicely, it's behaving, it, it, it's, it's, it's acting with civility, and of course we should. And in this day and age, we really, really need to do that. Be civil, be nice, get along, and all of that's very... But that's not the heart of this word. Uh, this word uh, is, uh, for, for harmony has, has, this, uh, has this notion of thinking the same thing towards the other. It, it is not thinking the same thing with the other. It's close to that. And it is good to agree to think the same thing with them, to come to an agreement and strive to be in agreement, especially in major doctrinal matters. We want to, we want to think the same thing with each other as best we can. But that's not what this is saying. It is saying, think the same thing towards each other. And so often, the things, there are things that, that our pride can get in the way. We can be proud of the things that make us different or that show that we are different, perhaps even better. And, and remember uh, Samuel, as Samuel was looking over David's brother, Brothers and, and was trying to select the one in God's provision for uh, to, to be king of Israel. God says, "Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart." Do you remember that? Man looks on the outward appearance, and we're still doing it. We're still doing it. We're looking about how much money someone has. We're looking about how much education someone has, how much social finesse someone has, what color their skin is, 
how well they speak, where all these things can go through our minds as we're looking on those outward, outward things and we make quietly in our minds, we, make, we, we draw lines between people. Paul says this, view no one according to the flesh. View no one according to what immediately presents as part of the flesh, part of the person. Instead, we look, we look at an image bearer of God. And, and we see them as a person in Christ. And we see them that they have the Holy Spirit. And how can you not therefore value them? There is no partiality with God. So bless, bless His name, there is no partiality with us either. If Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, we are not ashamed to call one another brothers and sisters. The gospel breaks the power of pride. So your relationships are to be humble enough so that you live in harmony. You see what unites you more than what might separate you. And then very directly into the point is don't be arrogant, don't be conceited, don't think too highly of yourself. Whoa! Don't be arrogant, conceited, but instead be humble and associate with the lowly. Have, have sometimes when you go to a reception, you go to a, 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 a some wedding reception or even a church reception of some sort, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if you ever have done this. Maybe, maybe you haven't. But some of us have done it. And that is we walk into a room and we sort of scout out <laughs> who's there. And we think of, oh, that's someone I want to see. And that's someone I want to avoid. We can spend two hours in that reception room avoiding one. And hanging out with another. The ones who are popular, the ones who sort of make us feel good about ourselves, the one we can joke, the ones we can joke with. And and uh, this struck me um, when I was at a reception recently, and um, I, I wanted to speak to the speaker um, because he was from the same town as one of my relatives, and you know we like to make those connections. Oh, do you know? Do, do, you know, and it's all good. It's all good. Um, but as I, I walk, walked up to this guy and I introduced myself and I said, my, rel- my relative is, is this person. And, and um, before I had gotten one sentence out, this guy was already looking over my shoulder and looking around. I don't know what he was thinking. But he ended the conversation very quickly and went off to find someone who had a little bit more social class. I don't know. But it was obvious enough that his wife hung around for a while to try to smooth things over. And I felt ashamed at that point because I had wanted something from him. Some recognition, a little bit of an in. I was ashamed of that. 
And I looked up around the room and I looked for someone who was neglected. Someone who was lonely. Someone who maybe was not beautiful. But was just there. And I saw a woman in a wheelchair who I had known 30 years ago. And I had not spoken to her more than hello. But I quickly went over to this woman and spent more time in that 10 minutes than I had in the two or three years that we'd known known each other before. You see, Jesus seeks out the lowly. And he calls us to seek out the lowly. Listen, knowing Jesus actually influences the way you case a room. The way you check people out. You look for the lonely. You look for the outsiders. And you listen carefully for the things that they can teach you about the beauty of God. You develop friendships with people who are not like you. And you will discover things in conversation that humble you. Someone unlearned may have a more beautiful relationship with God than you do yourself. So you're not, you're not reaching out the, to the lowly um, because you want glory from them. You're getting instead humility. And in that humility, you are seeing more of the beauty of Jesus. Now lastly, lastly, this is, in, this is seeking relationship, have relationships that are humble so that you can, you can um, display the humility of God. The last thing is then, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. <laughs> we are called to be wise. We are called to make decisions that are going to be helpful for the people around us. We are called to, to discernment. And we often take pride in that. But don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't, don't be so set in your opinions that you have no regard for another point of view. Don't be intractable in your opinions that you're simply un- unmovable. Um, C.S. Lewis was describing his father. Um, and um, he, he described his father as uh, someone who had everything so tightly ordered in his brain. All the categories so, so rigidly in place. And he thought in those categories that, that Lewis said, it, you couldn't get another thought in there. There was no room for any other thought that didn't fit those, those categories. He could never silence his own mind enough to make room for an outside thought. Well, we are to value the other person's experience. We are to listen for her point of view with sympathy and with a goal of harmony, even if we don't agree. Are you able, dear friends, to listen to those with whom you do not agree? Or so set on your own wisdom that you simply can't hear another person? There's no category in the slots in your brain 
to hear something else. Well, if, if, you, if you are a Christian, if you are one who has come to uh, trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior and to live for Him as Lord, there will be evidence of the Spirit's work in you. And one of them will be sympathy. And the other, another one will be harmony. Because that's what Jesus is like. Listen to these words again and, and, and think, think of Jesus who rejoices with those who rejoice, who weeps with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be conceited. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, um, we um, thank you for giving us this word and working in our own hearts. Let, Let us encounter you in our weakness. Let us face the selfishness that still uh, lines the creases in our hearts. And let us see the beauty of holiness. And we pray this day, Lord, that you would give us all the love that we need. First of all, a sense of love from you. So we are not scared. We do not feel driven. And a welling up of love for you, so that we are not proud or selfish. And a resulting love for others, so we are not cold or distracted, but we sympathize, leading to deeper harmony. For the glory of God, amen.